Are you, like Newcastle United, one of those who all you do is win every single day, no matter what? Well, if you want to win at running your own business, it's time to draft Shopify as your all-in-one commerce platform. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customise your online store to your brand, discover new customers and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify. And you can too. Shopify is the secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning ideas into the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash truefaith. It's your True Faith Newcastle United podcast um, no football, we are off, but we are talking about behind the scenes today. Um, I'm Charlotte, joined by Johnny, Adam and special guest, the Athletics' Chris Woff, to talk about what's gone on behind the scenes, how successful has it been, how much has it contributed to our on-pitch success and what does the future look like, does anybody know? Before we get into it, I have to remind you all, we are on Patreon, it's between three and eight pounds a month for tons of content we're going to be doing lots of amazing transfer stuff hopefully this this window um it looks like it's already going to be a very silly season so do come and join us across on there all right so let's get into it it might shock you to realize that it hasn't even been a year since we made some pretty massive appointments um darren eels joined in july 2022 Dan Ashworth was only allowed to join in July 2022. If you recall, he had that long period of gardening leave and we had to wait for him. Um, Peter Silverstone, chief, um, chief corporate. Just chief. I think he's just chief. He's just chief. Just chief he he's goes just by. the chief. Um, uh, he joined in October 20. October, wow. November, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really hasn't been a long time that Newcastle United has, has had this kind of proper corporate structure. And, I, I just sort of want to take stock of that for a second because um, I, as I was sort of researching for this podcast and thinking about it, I was thinking like, how nuts is it that we even existed without those kinds of positions before? Yeah. I mean, it's not, is it? It's just like entirely endemic <laughs> of the way the club was being run. We existed without tea ladies and sort of like, we had players doing cold ice baths in bins, you know what I mean? So the fact that there wasn't like high level executive positions yeah. being filled, it's kind of just in line with everything else, but... I think when you sort of, every time we've looked at other clubs over the last couple of years and gone, why have we been left behind by Tottenham? Why have we been left behind mm. by Brighton? Why have we been left behind by Wolves? It was always because 
you've got to take it seriously as a business. And there's loads of things you need to do behind the scenes, which you didn't have to do 10 years ago, realistically, that other clubs do. And it gets more of your revenue, gets more of your financial opportunities. And we just didn't do it. And now it seems alien to us that we're competently run <laughs> with experts in their field who know what they're doing. But really... This is just us coming up to a normal level now. We're not doing anything no one else is. Right. And I'm not saying that it's like we've gone above and beyond. There are still positions to fill. I think yesterday there was news that we are getting a CFO. We didn't We didn't have one of those. We don't have one of those. That feels important because we want our finances to be tip top. Chris, I, I guess the point I'm kind of making is it now feels alien to me that we were in any way that incompetently run because this does seem like the base level. Well, it should be, but I mean, you've got to remember that under Mike Ashley, there wasn't a CEO even. Lee Charney was managing director, and he was the only director on the board towards the end, which was no business of that size, never mind Premier League Football Club. Or Coffee shops one. have more directors <laughs> than that, <laughs> exactly. don't they? Exactly. And he, so, but he, because he was managing director as well, that by its very nature, rather than CEO, meant he didn't have the necessary powers to do certain things. I mean, now you, you ultimately have the chairman, Yasel Ramayan, who, yes, if there's a big financial decision, has to sign it off. But previously, Mike Ashley was the same, but claimed publicly once he'd stepped down from the board that that wasn't the case, and it very, very much was. But I think you're going to get a slight insight into it once the, dec- uh, the documentary comes out on Amazon mm. in the summer, because that will show some of the changes that have happened behind the scenes in terms of at the training ground, which has had a lot of development done to it. And, and obviously the club released the video last week. But what I think will be very amusing is when you see if they actually show a press conference at the training ground, the press conference room hasn't changed. And by press conference room, what it actually is, is it's where the ground staff come in and make their tea. And uh, so there's a coffee machine at the back of the room, which has to be switched off during the press conference. Otherwise you, ca- you can't hear anyhow. There's like a makeshift sort of, kitchen that you'd find in a canteen in the back left of it there aren't enough chairs it's all just this is this is a champions league football club the quote-unquote richest club in the world as the monarch has become and it's going to be hilarious when you see the press conferences and actually get an insight into that room chris can i ask you for a bit of exclusive intel and i'm sorry if this is something you're not allowed to disclose but what's that wheel for it's the wheel at the training finds wheel to finds wheel finds yeah. is it yeah wow so that's i think weird. they use it for more than just that but they have like a weekly sort of bi-weekly sort of meeting where they have uh they basically yeah whoever's been i don't know late for training say not naughty often, go so. on just say yeah naughty. Well, not naughty so whoever's <laughs> done something something wrong answer at maximum's on it quite a lot i believe um they spin the wheel and then there's a certain dare or bet or whatever they've got I to dare. Do. So, yeah yeah some of them are dares yeah. oh my god it's amazing yeah i think i'd seen something from a, like a league one club and the dares were absolutely insane and also somebody i speak to at bournemouth said that once he got uh, he he plays like music around bournemouth and he got asked to come in to accompany somebody on karaoke as that was their dare for the day oh but he refused he didn't want his music used as a joke fair enough we'll move on um okay so i guess that how good it's been on the pitch has kind of disguised how good it's been off the pitch because but but I, I what I want to explore is how hand in hand they are and actually how are they are they hand in hand? Are they kind of catching up with each other? Because I think one of the interesting things is, you know, Darren Eels and, and Peter Silverson came to our show and and talked about um about, you know, being smart and being and, and, and wanting to spend, but spend wisely and all of that, you know, all of that good stuff. But previously, what we'd been told was we want to be the top 10 club for this. We want to be the top 10 club for, you know, the training ground, the facilities, the academy, all of these things. And then all of a sudden, within one season, we have Champions League football. 
And I I feel like that's probably an acceleration of where I think everybody, I think it's fair to say that's an acceleration of where we we thought we'd be at this stage. Yes, we thought we'd be pushing on. Yes, we thought we might have some European football, but I don't think most of us, apart from Alex, shout out Alex who had Champions League in his sights from day one of the season, um, thought that we'd be here. And I'm interested in everybody's opinion, really, on... um, how hard is that going to be to kind of reconcile now are we now playing catch up even more because we've um because we've we've come in and and got champions league football i'll come to you chris and then i will bring johnny in he is here i I think it's a double-edged sword i think it's both it accelerates the process of its own accord because they simply have to accelerate the process now they're in that position so that means that changes which are planned anyway just basically get expedited. But I also think that they are significantly behind a lot of those clubs. you just got to go back to to the January window of, of, of uh, 2022, where by Eddie Howe was essentially de facto director of football, and Amanda Staveley, Mia Dagadusi, Jamie Rubin, Jason Tindall were actively involved in transfer discussions because there wasn't a, a person in that position, which there is now with, with Dan Ashworth. Or they had, uh, they've got their Steve Nixon, who's their... Uh, basically as the head of scouting, as the head of recruitment as he was, but he was he was promoted previously from being head of under-23 recruitment to being head of all recruitment, but not then having a head of under-23 recruitment or head of senior recruitment. So they were short-staffed in every single department. They rightly prioritised getting on the pitch right. They took a few months to get Dan Ashworth in, which they did a, a full search on that. Unsurprisingly, Dan Ashworth came out on top. They then had to wait for him to be on gardener leave for several months before which partly was to do, again, with the financial fair play position they're in, because if they paid him out of his contract, that contributes towards the financial fair play calculation, which, because they need to do so much in the transfer market, meant that they had to balance the two. Mm. Um, so then Darren Eels, they did a similar sort of search. Um, I'll come back to a little story about when Darren Eels was, was appointed and the sort of a journalistic frustration at the time from, from me. Stories. Um, that was because that was when we were in Austria. But so he doesn't arrive until his first, the night before he was appointed. Well, he started his position was when Newcastle drew 3 3 of Man City. So the, this season had already begun. Um, and at the moment, after that, you had Peter Silverson. But then if you look at, you mentioned the academy, you mentioned recruitment, you mentioned mm. analysis. They are recruiting so many people still for that. They have brought in people over the course of the last few months, but people are arriving now. But for something like the academy, changes are not instantaneous. It's not like if you bring in someone in recruitment and suddenly they can sign a, a really good player who maybe other people didn't see. For the academy, the real changes will be will take multiple years because that's the whole point of it is you're trying to develop the players correctly. You're trying to scout them in the first place, bring them in, develop them. So they can't just flick the switch and go from one to the other, but the process will be accelerated. I was just going to add to that. I think we're so far behind everybody in terms of mm. teams that are competing in Europe. And it's actually frightening, really, let's be honest, because like Chris and Adam have both mentioned in particular, we have to remember where we were two years ago. And when you compare to a Tottenham, like let's say Newcastle and Tottenham were at a similar level, not to like say 15, 15, 20 years ago. Now we're nowhere in the Champions League and Tottenham aren't, but they're still so far ahead of us behind the scenes. You look at the training ground, it's just, ours is probably pub standard compared to theirs. You know that that's how far that's how far behind we are. But I, what I think is really important is that if we're so far behind, but in the Champions League, could you imagine when we actually get everything right in terms right. of behind the scenes, and then we're in the Champions League, how much further can we actually go? And I think, like you, talk, I think Chris mentions about the, the amount of staff that we don't actually have right now. 
it's it's frightening a little bit it's, it's actually frightening <laughs> i feel like there must be that mood in the club right now like oh god we really need to we like we need to recruit we need to do this it must be a bit of a mad scramble. You, you don't want to voice it, but you almost imagine that how well we've done on the pitch must be an absolute nightmare for the club <laughs> if they were being completely honest about it. Like, every, I think everybody was like, realistically, you know, we just want to improve on uh, last season this year. You know, we just want to make sure we're not in a relegation fight. Top 10 would be great. Hey, maybe, maybe we could flirt with the concept of Europe for a bit. And the club would probably have the same sort of ambitions, you know, because the league is not, once you get out of that trudge at the bottom, anybody can basically get up into those sort of like, eighth, ninth, tenth positions. Like, it's just whoever's having a bit of a good season, whoever's got the squad chemistry right that year. So it'd be now looking down the barrel of, okay, now we have to, we're not just going to have a fun little conference league trip that will end when it ends because, you know, the expectations are low. It's like, okay, now we potentially have to welcome two or three of the biggest clubs in the world and the media attention that brings and the sort of broadcasting capabilities we're going to need to have. Like, every little thing that goes into being a Champions League club, which is massive infrastructurally, now has to happen in the next two or three months. Like there's no, yeah. there's no two ways about it. They can't just sort of like coast along like we did when we had that nice little Europa League run under Pardew where we're going to a traumatos and like all this place. Now we've got to literally be credible and be taken seriously at the very top table of football in the space of one summer, which is, again, it's a nice problem to have, <laughs> but you imagine it is a problem. Well, I mean, you, you even look at other parts of the club which aren't the sexy elements in terms of recruitment, all that sort of stuff. But you just think of marketing, you think of mm. okay. uh, catering, all these sort of departments were pared down to the bare bones. And I'm like, actually, they're either being moved out so that, so that it was an external company taking hold of them, or they were just so short-staffed compared to other clubs. And Newcastle still are. I mean, the media department in particular, and by that I mean the sort of social media is done by one guy at the moment, Grant, who's done an excellent job. But most clubs, even in League One, have multiple people, and mm. Newcastle still only have one. Some of these departments have grown quicker than others. And so it, it, it is going to, the club is going to change to such a degree, even from this point, it, it's changed hugely already, but the future, it will suddenly look more like an actual top level club. And just on a separate point, and it, this is sort of to do with the first team, but more just in general with, you mentioned the, the training ground, Johnny has spoken about recruitment in a strange sort of way. I actually think that Eddie Howe has benefited from the lack of there already being that structure when he came in because he's been able to shape things in a mm. way that he that you would not get at an elite football club when you come in as the head coach. He was able to have a lot of input into what was done at the training ground. He's going to have input into what happens in the fresh training ground if they ever do find a site in the not-too-distant future. He's obviously had a huge role in recruitment. And so in a strange sort of way, that's that's benefited him and has maybe helped him with the success they've had on the field. But longer term, you don't want that. You don't want the potential short-termism. They've, they've been very fortunate that they've got an excellent head coach in Eddie Howe who's, who's done the right things, but you could have had someone who come in and it could have been a disaster in that sense. I think the, the one thing I would add to that as well, and you talk about Eddie Howe there, and you can say this with every appointment that, they've, that this new regime have done since they've come in, the amount of trust that they've put into each person uh, to get on with the job. Yes, they've done the... You know, they've done the research, they've gone, right, we want the best person for the job. And they're just going to let them get on with it. And now you're seeing the rewards for it. It's, it's, it's just so nice and so refreshing to see people doing their job at a good standard and actually caring. <laughs> and you can, and it's, it's just it's really, really nice to see. But I think that's a great point in terms of Eddie Howe putting his own touch, to, touch on everything in regards to the training ground. Because how many managers in the Premier League, maybe bar Guardiola maybe, maybe clop to a certain degree as well, have that responsibility, have that level of trust. It, it doesn't really happen. And it is really, really refreshing to see. And I think, look, I don't think many managers will have that opportunity in the future with, with, with Newcastle United because this is the begin, beginning. This is the, you know, all the ground, all the like starting pieces of the jigsaw is now 
kind of getting slowly but surely getting towards it's like maybe the middle bit now we're getting to like where we'll see what's going to happen <laughs> what a fun analogy yeah, there yeah. aren't many premier league football teams you can come in with and see as a fixer-upper to this extent yeah. exactly. like you might have to overhaul the squad or something like that but like, no the stadium is rotting around you and the training grounds <laughs> up yeah. for purpose for 15 years just go in you can knock that wall through if you want which they literally did didn't they when he got into the thing he put like an exercise bike room in and yeah. stuff well he was he was shocked when he when he got i know that he was shocked for the training ground, yeah. How when he when he when they first arrived, having been at Bournemouth, who obviously don't have a heck of a lot of money relatively, but the, the when he arrived, he, he sort of saw it, and and he's never said this publicly, but I do know privately, he sort of said, "How is how is this club at this sort of level operated in this way?" And mm. he's made significant changes to it. It's still when you go in, I mean, it's very impressive some of the things you've done, but but equally, when you go in, there's so, there's still elements of it which aren't as impressive because. It's it like it, it was called by a previous head coach, a sort of rabbit warren, because you walk through and it's very, it's very narrow coach, uh, very narrow corridors. It was uh, part of it was previously a squash court, and you can still see <laughs> elements of that. Um, and so, yeah, it is. It's. It, it, I think he was. He he knew what he was walking into to a certain degree, but it was still a shock to him when he arrived and saw how far behind Newcastle were, even compared to someone like Bournemouth. I'm even Bournemouth. I'm going to press you for your journalistic frustration story about eels, and then we'll we'll break for some ads. Well, this was this is a uh, sorry, this is a bit self indulgent, but um, go wild. Th- myself and uh, another journalist from a, from another publication who will remain nameless, but <laughs> we, we both had Darren Eels as as a name as as the potentially for the CEO a few weeks before he was confirmed, and I'd gone to to a couple of people who'd come back to me and said that he was still one of one of many people under consideration. So we didn't actually run the story. And then I remember we were out in Austria at the time covering pre-season and Newcastle had just played their first friendly on the Friday. I can't remember who it was against, but in that sort of really picturesque uh, Austrian Alps. And we'd been promised Darren Ash- uh, uh, we may get a sit down with Dan Ashworth, who then turned out had left. So we didn't get a sit down with Dan Ashworth. We got back to our hotel, had no heads up from the club. And then Darren Eels was confirmed as CEO uh, just with a press release that was sent to us. We weren't given a heads up that anything was oh, coming. That's and so, so it was it was very it was very frustrating just from a very selfish journalistic point of view. But yeah. No, it is frustrating. Um and it's good to get a peek behind the curtain of how things are done. Why I, I had also tried to find out. I'd I'd try I'd, I eventually managed to get a number for Darren Eels, but at that point the only number I could get was for his office in Atlanta and I kept ringing through and speaking to a very, very nice American woman who kept <laughs> on telling me that Darren would call me back and never did. So that was frustrating. Do it in the voice. I can't, burn, I can't. That, burn that bridge do it in the voice <laughs> I can't I'm not very good at impressions did you say sorry honey lot yeah <laughs> southern, I think honey southern was charm. Charm. I'm sorry honey Darren's not around right now <laughs> oh there you go was it flashbacks oh no he's getting angry table's going to open a second <laughs> alright well we'll leave it there for part one I think plenty more chats about what's going on off the pitch and how what does it mean we'll get into what does it mean I think after these as a reminder we are on Patreon Please do come and think about joining us uh, between three and eight pounds per month for lots of extra podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Part two of the show, and I do want to talk about what all of this means for us. What does it mean to us and what does it mean for the club? Um, and I think there's also a point, kind of a zoom out point on this one to, to think about um, in terms of the wider um, ownership structure and and how we were told, you know, if Amanda Stavely couldn't do it. She was a chancer and she's done pretty much everything that she said she would do and then some. Um, she did say that she would win everything. So I'm hol- <laughs> holding on to that one or will win everything. So I'm holding on to that one. The best bit about that was when she listed every single trophy. So <laughs> she didn't just say everything. She then went through every single trophy just to make sure that just, 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 just uh, rubber stamp that point. Yeah. Um, she is very clear about what she wants to win. And I appreciate that clarity. I like that that focus. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose... Um, what does it mean? It's it's not just it's not just progress on the pitch. It's progress off the pitch. It's progress in the women's team. Johnny, I'm kind of interested in coming to you on that side of things, um, because I know that you, as part of your um, other um, enterprises, have been involved in the women's team. I'm I'm keen to understand kind of what, how were you brought on board? What has the interactions you've had with our ownership been like in in that context? It's been fantastic. It's been it's it's actually been a real eye opener to see how again just how much how poor poorly run was the women's team as well if you think the men's team are getting poorly run everyone even the, the women's team was non-existent it wasn't even under the Newcastle United umbrella that's how bad it yeah, was yeah it was the foundation right yeah so it was, it was all to do with the foundation and then obviously the takeover happened and it was pretty much one of the first things or if well probably a couple of months in but it was certainly one of the one of the things that the new ownership wanted to do was to involve the women's team and they certainly have and what the, what the biggest the biggest thing for for me is that for people that can't go to the games in terms of the men's team they've got a connection still with Newcastle United with the women's team now in terms of the access you get to speak to Becky Becky Langley who's done a fantastic job um, as Newcastle United's head coach I think the one thing as well that I can't give the players so I can only give the players so much credit because they've been absolutely fantastic the focus on wanting to win every single game wanting to improve they've embraced 
the fans, you know, pretty much because they like like celebrities now. Mm. Right? Obviously, you get the men's team, which is normal, but I think normal, but it it's new territory for them, and they've just adapted so well to it. Now, in terms of behind the scenes, they've got the new, they've got their own kit, they've got a sponsor, they've got you know they're using the facilities at Newcastle United where they weren't before. They've been obviously using um, obviously where Newcastle Falcons play in terms of uh, Kingston Park in terms of getting game. Uh, you know, big games, big big uh, attendances as well. And it's just fantastic. It gets so many fresh eyes mm-hmm. watching this team and it will develop. It really will. I've, I've got so much confidence with the management, the, the coaching staff, the experienced players that I think Newcastle United can be a WSL team. It will take time. Yeah. They're, you know, they're still, essentially, they've just got promoted. If you're looking at it from the equivalent of the men's team, it's like going from like League 2 to League 1. They've still got a lot of work to do. And there's some big, big teams in the division that they're in now, like some Wolves, uh, Burnley, there's some very, very tough teams. But the confidence is there. They're going to be able to attract players as, as well because everybody wants to play for Newcastle. The attendances, if you, if you take Newcastle's attendance and compare it to everybody else, it is, it's, 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 it's a huge, huge difference, huge contrast. Mm-hmm. And that is only going to get bigger. I, I think there will be a day where Newcastle United women's team will sell out St. James's Park. I don't know when, but I think they will one day. And I'm, I'm, I think it's interesting how that strategy kind of fits into the overarching strategy. And, and I know, um, Chris, that you've kind of spoken to Becky in, on your podcast and things like that. And I, I, I'm interested in your perspective. You might not know, but what, what's your perspective on, on how sort of what that has meant, that kind of unification and, and how that kind of slots into the overarching kind of, I'm saying kind of a lot. You know what the question is. Well, I agree with Johnny. It should be. They should be shamed, really, that the, the previously the, the club didn't have Newcastle United women under the, the banner. I mean, for years, it wasn't even part of the foundation. Then it became part of the foundation before it moved across to the club last year. And and that's just wrong for such a... This, this region is huge on sport. I mean, that you just have to look for the women's football side, how many players come from the northeast, And yet, it, Sunderland have, have put so much time and energy into it over the years... Durham, Sestria are doing extremely well. Other clubs in Durham as well, and in in the wider sort of northeast region. And yet Newcastle just haven't had any of that. And what's interesting is that I mean, you've got two elements. First of all, Amanda Staveley in the previous guise of when she tried to buy the club, the women's team was always a huge part of that. She's she she has been the main driving force behind this. It's obviously now under Dan Ashworth's guise as. Uh, in his position as sporting director and it, and it should have been previously but it wasn't even part of uh, Lee Charnley's as we had said earlier limited remit the women's team just didn't even feature whereas now Dan Ashworth is giving time and resources to that so you had Amanda Stavely driving this but you've also got this, the other side of it where there, there there is criticism externally from people about what Newcastle are doing with the women's team in terms of quote-unquote sports washing and the like and I understand that but you've also got the opposite of it's like well what should the owners do then? Right. Should they not invest in the women's team? Should they just ignore <laughs> it as the previous owner? It's, it's like, I, I, under, I, I get why there's criticism there of that, but it's like, surely it's better to be investing in women's sport, to be making sure that Newcastle United actually have a women's side as they always should have done all along, which is properly resourced and hopefully can, can go up the leagues. And so it is part of, of the wider strategy. And I think part of it, as Johnny says, is to try and get people in as well. It, you, you can't, the men's team is just so massively oversubscribed. And even if they do expand St. James's Park as they want to, it's still going to be massively oversubscribed if, if they manage to continue along the trajectory they're going on. And so to get people inspired, to get women particularly young girls inspired but also even the 
uh, young boys and, 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 and men in the city to be able to go and see your Newcastle United side in, in the flesh, hopefully at St. James's Park, that is another part of the strategy. And I think it is a huge growth market for them. One thing people don't talk about with, like, especially the WSL, is it's one of the few football operations in the world that's profitable. Mm-hmm. Like a women's team at the very top level in this country actually makes money for its club, whereas no other football operation, like the men's teams don't make money. There are a massive sinkhole of transfers yeah. and wages. You've got to find so many other ways to finance that. Women's teams, at the, especially I think Man United, Arsenal, like all these ones at the very top of the minute, they make money. There's a genuine business case for having one in the first place. It's not just like, oh, we need to be seen to have a women's team. It's very trendy at the minute. Let's put some money behind it. And that's a legitimate sporting enterprise, which is like entertaining. People want to go watch. People want to see it. They sell out stadiums. You can get TV broadcast rights for them. And right now, the money side of it isn't so grossly skewed that it makes it like a complete farce. Like it's genuine. It's probably the, the purest fo- football endeavor in the country at the minute. So of course you should do it. I love that. The purest football endeavor. It is. It? It's just like, because it, so much of it's now run as, it's, you know, it's, gro- it's free market capital masquerading as sport, but the women's game isn't. The women's game is sport and it's profitable and it makes money and you can run it as a business without having to like grossly inflate it through, through other measures. And also it's really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, uh, I've been to a few of the games at Kingston Park. Chris and I went to one and um, I've been to St. James's Park as well. It's nice. It's a really good atmosphere and and you can see it sort of um, engaging young people as well, like really like little kids really enjoying it. So it's, that's a nice thing. It's a good I thing. was at the Women's FA Cup final the other week and it was genuinely like, there was a part of your brain going, this is how it should be really. Nobody's really angry about this. Everyone's just having a nice time and someone's going to win and it's going to be good and no one's going to throw a bottle at me. Maybe this is how it should be. I mean, not for me. I mean, I literally, I'd, define myself by the violence in spite of football (laughs) so it wouldn't be for me personally but maybe for normal people this is something they could enjoy more maybe maybe for normal people for normal people non-present not none of those are here um let's get back a bit to um to newcastle united uh, as a as a business as a as a not just a men's team but as a business um i think i think it's really important to caveat um all of our conversations with Everything that anybody said would happen has basically been wrong. Yep. So, <laughs> so we, you know, we talk. We we got taken over. We well, firstly we weren't going to get taken over. That's never going to happen. It happened. Deader than a dead thing from Deadland. Yeah. yeah. That and then and then it happened. Okay, it's happened. Then it's they're going to buy Neymar. They're going to do. They're going to buy Mbappe. They're going to do this. It's going to be ridiculous. None of that's happened. We did some really constant... Yeah, we've spent some money, but nothing compared to, like, Chelsea this season or anything like that. We, um, we were ridiculed for our transfers in that January. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget that. We were ridiculed for going out and getting, like, Dan Byrne. And Chris Wood. And Chris Wood. Like, this is Target. it. This, after all, this is what you've wanted for all these years, a takeover. You're the richest team in the world, and you've gone and got Dan Byrne and Chris Wood. Yeah. We were, a la- we, were, we, were, we, were, we were even more relegated after that transfer window than we were when we started. I remember going to Leeds away and Leeds fans are saying all that money and you bought Chris Wood. <laughs> well, that's not unfair. He wasn't, didn't do lots for us, but I actually really like Chris Wood and I hope he did. I thought Chris Wood did a great job. Yeah, he did what he needed to Eddie do. Eddie Howe would defend him to the hilt. I would defend him to the hilt. He came in, he did a job, he weakened a rival and we'd sold him on like a year later for yeah. nearly what we paid for. It's yeah. one of the best bits of footballing <laughs> business I've ever seen a football club do. And I mean, but it, in, and this is about on the field, but it does come into the business sort of side of it is that in that January, they also had a strategy, which Eddie Howe was instrumental, as I said earlier. And part of it was to play quote unquote simple football was the way they talked about it behind mm. the scenes. And that's where Chris would fit in. It was like, how has this philosophy that he wanted to instill, but he knew to survive last season, that was not the way you yep. couldn't just do that. And he, instead he managed to do it over one summer, which was 
fascinating enough and, and astonishing enough as it was. But that at that point, it was Chris Wood cost twenty five million pounds. That is, we know that's too much in this market. But he's also exactly what we need. He'll play every single game. We've got a or better striker is liable to get a lot of injuries we'll bring him in that's the strategy for now we will overspend on that front but we won't overspend on the other elements that everyone thinks we're going to yeah and uh and and i think we've surprised people haven't we at every turn basically um what are you making a face well, I was, i've been surprised at everything like every, turn. every i consider myself quite optimistic about all of this and that everything i predicted has literally just been about 10 times better yeah and i think also it's it's sort of it surprised people in a sort of oh that's a I wonder why that's happened, but it's almost all worked out well. It's almost all been considered and good appointments we've made, um, signings we've made, um, building out um, certain parts, like departments in the club. I know it's not, like you say, Chris, it's not like the sexiest thing to talk about, but these are all really important things for a functioning Champions League club, really a functioning Premier League club to have done. So... Well, I mean, despite all the changes so far as well, what I think none of us expected or certainly nobody externally expected was how sensible they've been in terms of they've changed a lot, but they Mm. haven't tried to change things too quickly. It was like Dan Ashworth is our man that we want to be sporting director. If we have to wait, they were going to, it was nine months to a year Mm. if they'd wait as full garden and leave. And at one stage they were prepared to do that. They're like, this is long term. This is not for now. We could appoint someone else tomorrow, but they didn't rush into doing that. They didn't rush in to getting the CEO until they had who they thought was the right person as well. And it's been the same with transfers. They haven't suddenly gone, yes, we'll go and sign Mbappe or Neymar because he's, <laughs> he's available. We're not going to change the entire wage structure. If that means we'll miss out on players in the in the next couple of years, that means we'll miss out on players in the next couple of years. But we're going to build to a level where we can actually sustain that longer term. We're not going to affect ourselves FFP-wise too much. We will stretch it to the very boundaries of where we can, but we're also not going to hamstring ourselves in the way that Everton have done. And that's what Mm. nobody expected it to be that sensible. And that's exactly what they have done. And that's why I think even I've been surprised by that because the, the, the two months between the takeover and the January window just felt like a whirlwind and it did feel at that stage, even though they'd said all these noises behind the scenes, you did just think, "Hmm, but when it comes to that, what are they going to do? And if it comes to, Eddie Howe only wins one of his first 10 games. You know, like, mm, they said they're going to stick by this bloke, but are they going to sack him? No, th- this is the guy we've decided is the one to take us forward and they've stuck by him. And that's that's what I think has, has surprised everyone. That's completely different to what you've seen happen at Chelsea over the last few months. Yeah. I mean, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when something doesn't go right because we don't we haven't experienced yes. that yet. Yeah. You know, Eddie Howe had a bad start, but he was he was taking over a team that was, you know, rock bottom, couldn't score goals. And you could see even for the first couple of games, there was an improvement in how we were playing. Remember being at that Man City game where we got absolutely trousered, but we did play genuinely all right, and people stayed behind him and were waving the flag, and you could just tell things were starting to turn. Likewise, you know, we had a bit of a rocky start. We had that City draw, which was really good, but I think, it, what, we had 11th at one stage after the first couple of games, mm. and that was a bit below expectation, and these players are coming, it wasn't quite doing it. So, but, but even then, straight away, things turned around. You know, we, we were only doing that for a couple of weeks. We haven't yet had that real period of having to suffer through things, or things not going well, or... Or, you know, like a, a player who we like, you know, you know, desperate to get a move. You know, like all this talk about you know, Bruno going to Barca or Real Madrid. He's certainly not, there's certainly no public noise from his side that's creating a problem. Yeah. You know, the only issue behind the scenes you ever hear anything of is, that, oh, is, is Max unhappy? Can he fit in, etc. But even then, that's one player who's not been a massive part of the season necessarily. So I think there's a bit of, you know, even the fans are probably divided down the middle of, oh, he could go, you know, there's not like a big problem with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when there is a big problem because they've not been tested in that regard yet. And to be fair, that is testament to how they've done things so far. Mm-hmm. They've avoided a lot of these problems that could have come about from the way they were running things. But 
in football, it can just happen and it can happen out of out of nowhere. So it would be interesting to see um, what they do when that happens. But until then, I hope it never does. I think as well, we just don't know, do we? We've been wrong about everything. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> like, it. You think, oh, well, that something mad will happen and, and, and they'll, they'll sack this person or they might move this person on. Well, probably maybe, just think, there's an episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza finds massive success doing everything against his instinct. So just like flip it. <laughs> Assume that as, <laughs> Such a good episode. it's a very good episode, but he like it, it feels like, oh, it, if, <laughs> if something goes wrong, here's what I will expect to happen. So the opposite is probably going to yeah. happen. Um, before we take our final break and then go into the last part of the show, I'm interested in and this maybe will will filter into the last part of the show. A lot of what Saudi are doing is being looked at, particularly on on Newcastle Twitter, right through a Newcastle lens. You know, they've, they've bought they've, this golf thing has happened this week. Live Golf and PGA has merged, and um, and that's at the kind of at the checkbook of of the Saudis. Um, they have bought Adam. I know you, you and I were talking about this. They've bought four other, or they're about to spend a lot of money buying four other teams in Saudi as part of this kind of project, and. Um, and it feels to me that like we keep seeing things online about with a Newcastle lens. How does that impact Newcastle? What will that mean for Newcastle? And I put it to you, and I'd love to to hear your thoughts. Um, it doesn't. Like I think Newcastle's success is Newcastle's success, but I suppose there's an argument to be made that it's 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 down to PIF. It's down to Amanda Stavely. It's down to well, like I I think Newcastle's success is in its own right. I think if you look at what's happened on the pitch and they look at the good appointments we've made, but I guess people are, you know, looking, especially people who aren't Newcastle fans, are looking at that sort of movement from PIF and thinking, well, th- this is going to, this means this for Newcastle. I mean, ultimately, what's happened so far, I'd agree with you, but I think longer term, Newcastle are just part of this, this sort of wider strategy. Now, PIF only own 80% of them, and also Newcastle have the likes of, of Dan Ashworth and Darren Eels and, and, and Eddie Howe, who are separate from what is going on above. But I think the fact that Yassel remind when he was asked about the live PGA Tour merger, basically cited Newcastle United and the changes that have happened over the course of the last, he said in 18 months, we turned them from being second bottom of the Premier League to being in the Champions League. This is the way that we are going to, to treat golf. We, we are going to have this effect on golf. So I don't think it's, I don't think suddenly everything that's happened means that everything's going to change in Newcastle United in that sense. But it is part of, for PIF at least, part of a wider strategy, which is A, to expand their revenues longer term, which is why Newcastle have been far more business savvy since they've been taken over than everyone expected with this quote-unquote wealthiest club in the world moniker, which just would not go away despite all of what happened and what everyone said. Yes, in theory, they've got the wealthiest backers, but it doesn't mean that PIF are going to put their £720 billion into <laughs> Newcastle United. And suddenly I wish they would put that into my bank account. <laughs> But then what? Uh, and then you see what's happening in Saudi Arabia with the the purchasing of the the, the clubs, and also there's four other clubs who ha- are being basically bought by four strands of PAF or companies who are partly owned by PAF. And I think that that shows that there is a wider strategy in Saudi Arabia about this. So I don't think that directly affects Newcastle United, but I think there is an indirect link. And I think in some ways it could be a positive economic one in terms of I think there are going to be closer and closer ties longer term in terms of Newcastle have already been to Saudi Arabia twice on mid-season tours. And I think they're likely going to continue to do that and play against more and more of these teams who are going to have better, more high-profile players. And therefore that might be mutually beneficial in many ways. I, I, I do think that Saudi Arabia having this... 
almost a monopoly now of sporting events in the country and now tapping into the Premier League, tapping into other different um, sports as well. Saudi Arabia is going to be very, very interesting in the next five to ten years in terms of what we'll, what we will see in terms of the Saudi Arabian League, and because it could either, either turn into a Chinese Super League or it could turn into a Premier League. I think that, and, and I don't think there's, I don't think they're going to be somewhere in the middle. It'll either go really well or it won't, because I think they've got the, the money's not an issue. Obviously, they can attract whoever they want. Even though they've just given Ronaldo loads of money, Benzema loads of money, then Ali got Messi. Like money's mm. not an issue now. People will go there for the right price. It doesn't like footballers will need, need if footballers get offers to go and play anywhere for big big money they're going to do it i think the one thing that I, f- I found from the pga and the live golf merger i think ultimately that will be a good thing for newcastle united and the reason why i say that is because people are now starting to work with the saudis mm-hmm. in a positive way now roy mcelroy for example said like he's always been against live and x y and Z, but he's in his own words, has made peace with it because ultimately it'd be better for the game of golf. Now, I know this is a Newcastle podcast, so I won't go into too much detail with that. But ultimately, if other people can start working with the Saudis, it's not going to be as, as, as many questions because obviously there's always going to be that element of doubt. There's always going to be a question mark with, with the Saudis when it comes to Newcastle, and we just have to live with that. We have to live with that, unfortunately. I think you, you really highlighted exactly what this is about there by saying, like, you know, people are starting to work with them and the fact they've referenced us as a successful campaign they've done. Like, I, th- I think what kind of gets lost with this debate between our ownership model is that multiple things can be true at once. Like, we can't acknowledge that they've come in, they've done a fantastic job, they've got everything right, they've got the values of the club at their heart, they seem to get the city, they seem to get that, and that we are part of, like, what is the most expensive PR project in the world. Like, people have got issues with the, with the country and the organization, and PIF is there to sort of, as Chris says, it's there primarily to diversify Saudi Arabia's revenue, to stop them being an oil state, to effectively future-proof them as a country. But also it is there to change perceptions of them, to make them more appetizing for, you know, tourism from the West mm. and from business opportunities from the West. And we are a massive, massive part of that. And I think the, Royal Ma- the Rory McIlroy comparison is interesting because he's basically said, well, I've made peace with it because there's nothing you can do about it. You can either exactly. just stop playing golf or he can, you know, make his, make his peace. And I think for a lot of fans, it's exactly the same. Like I'm massively uncomfortable with like how we're funded and how we're backed and the fact that we're now being used to make it okay for like, oh, well, now we're getting to bed with golf because look what we did in Newcastle. That's gone really well. Like mm. we are pawns in this effectively, but there is more nuance to it. Like we can appreciate what's going on and we can see it for its good qualities, but we do need to be aware as a fan base that, that's the point. Like, we're happy and we're really enjoying this and we're being used as a billboard for, hey, come invest with us. You know, forget everything else, just invest with us because we really do develop these things well. And we have to make our peace with that. Most fans have. Like, I have to an extent. Like, I'm not going to stop supporting my football club just because I don't like the ownership model. Like, if I was sitting around waiting for, like, a, you know, completely unproblematic, you know, libertarian billionaire trust fund to be coming along, I'd be waiting a very, very, very long time. Like, you know, to fix the, all the problems with football ownership, you have to deconstruct capitalism. And that seems like a bit, a bit of a stretch if yeah, I just so want us just to buy podcast, some players. You yeah. know, I don't think we need to... But you know what I mean? Like, it's this, these aren't just problems with our ownership. It's problems with how football is funded right, right, as right. a whole. Like, there aren't any real you can point at and go, yes, those are the billionaires I'd like to be running us. They're much better than ours. They've all got problems. Yeah, of course. Effectively. But of course. I just think, like, we need to be... We need to basically get into a position where we can acknowledge that things can be good and bad at the same time. Like Jamie mm-hmm. Rubin giving £10,000 to a food bank is great. Yeah. But also him wanting a round of applause for kicking a ball into a net on the pitch to kind of make a game out of it is bad. 
You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can, we can, we can have, it's not having your cake and eating it. It's just being aware that, you know, it's not, if you excuse the pun, black and white in this regard, like it is complete shades of gray from top to bottom. Yeah, it is. And um, we'll talk about the future, I think, next after after these messages um, and try and lighten it up for the <laughs> last part of oh, the I podcast. Had, I had loads more, but I could see the timer on this. <laughs> yeah. um, I would have cut you off. Okay, <laughs> we will be back after these messages. Are you, like Newcastle United, one of those who all you do is win every single day, no matter what? Well, if you want to win at running your own business, it's time to draft Shopify as your all-in-one commerce platform. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customise your online store to your brand, discover new customers and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify. And you can too. Shopify is the secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning ideas into the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash truefaith. Okay, part three of the podcast, we will, uh, it probably won't be as long as part one and two, but I do just want to think about the future with the huge caveat that we've got everything wrong so far. We're probably going to get everything wrong that we're going to talk about, but what I kind of want to tie it all back to is we've had this amazing season in footballing terms. We've finished fourth, we're in the Champions League. Um, we've really uh, competed with with some of the with the best teams in the league we've done amazingly we've got better all of our players have got better blah 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 you all know all this good stuff um and we've done that with you know peter didn't come in till october um darren and um dan dan god terrible uh didn't come in until the summer we are still we are still advertising jobs we are still building out <laughs> um certain departments we are only just hiring a cfo I'm I'm interested, Chris. I'll come to you. How, you know, if you look at Liverpool, for example, right? It's been chaos behind the scenes. Their data analysts are leaving. Their scouts are leaving. And to your point earlier, you know, Eddie Howe had to to wear many hats when he started. Klopp has, has probably had to wear quite a few hats. He loves hats as well, and he loves hats, so it's fine. But I think sort of that chaotic behind the scenes has contributed to their slightly weird season. Um, they're not very Liverpool season. Um, and so we've 
done what we've done you know the, there's a positive trajectory so it's not like people are leaving and it's chaos in that way it's a positive trajectory we've done what we've done with you know a slightly more fleshed out skeleton but how much do you think how, how much do you think we're going to be able to kind of compete and catch those three above us in the next season because we are going to have been we are going to have a better structure we are going to have more people in place we're going to have more before I pick up on that, I, I want to both agree and disagree with you on, on the Liverpool point because I agree with you in the sense that I think it probably did contribute to the, the, this season. But I also think part of the reason why the likelihood is they will bounce back is they actually have the structure in place to begin with and certain mm. people have left from within that. But that's individuals within a wider structure. And once those individuals have been replaced, I think they will recover. But Newcastle didn't have that previously. And so Newcastle are still building that. And that's why this is still at the moment... 18 months of success which in theory isn't yet sustainable until they get the, the wider structure in place and everyone in position mm -hmm. and I think that that's that's the next step I think that's where they will go next Man City I think are so far away in terms of both on and off field that for now for the next two or three years you've almost got to not think about catching them that's the ultimate sort of model to a certain degree I don't see you copy necessarily everything from it but that's that's the level you want to get to where everything works in tandem although I think they may have a, a longer term issue in terms of when Guardiola leaves but that's a mm. sort of separate problem there that if you look at Manchester United I think that Newcastle can overtake them in the not too distant I think on the field I agree with Alex's point that he's made in the last few podcasts that I don't think Newcastle were worse than Manchester United on the pitch last season I think that in that sense I'm not saying the table lied but I don't think it was a, an accurate reflection of a full 38 game season Arsenal I still think are, vul are more vulnerable longer term than Newcastle will be once the structure's in place because they, they haven't got that full so they've got a certain structure in place but they also have limits as to the, the extent that they can get to because they don't have Newcastle's potential for future growth so I think that the clubs below them Chelsea are in such disarray that I think it'll be interesting to see which way they do go next in terms of I think that they've almost tried to do too much too soon and that will have a negative effect on them but Newcastle although they've gone very very quickly in terms of what they've tried to build so far they also want to make sure they have the right people and the right structure in place so therefore it becomes a seamless sort of transition as I suppose you've seen at Brighton where Ashworth was before not only has Ashworth been replaced by who was his deputy and people have sort of stepped up or people have been brought in they also did exactly the same when Graham Potter left afterwards at Brighton. Eventually, that their model will affect them in terms of buying and selling players. Mm -hmm. But off the field, I don't think the model is as susceptible to that as, 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 say, their business model will be. And so I think Newcastle, in the next two or three years, I think that they will be among the best two or three run clubs in the country in terms of... You could argue they're one of the best run now, but I mean in terms of the actual structure yeah. that is in place and once everyone's in their position and understands exactly what their role is. This might be a bit of a ridiculous comment, but I'm going to say it anyway. Right. I, I think we're so well run and we've got such a good handle on what's going on. Obviously, everything is growth and everything's development. I think at any point, if we surpass any team in this league, they don't then catch us back up. You know, if they if they let things slip, if they let things slide, if they are a bit disorganized off the pitch, I think we've got everything off the field and on the field so hand in hand that I, I don't for I don't see Spurs ever consistently finishing above us ever again under this ownership. I don't even really see Liverpool consistently finishing above us under this ownership. Possibly next season, yeah, well we're still growing and they've still got things they can do, but over the next ten years, do you think they'll finish above us more than we'll finish above them? I, I highly doubt it. I think as soon as we catch a oh, team Johnny's up... Johnny's not sure. I'm not sure. I think as soon as we catch a team up, that's our level. And all we'll do is is do better than that. It's interesting. I think it's a really, I think it's a really good point because 
like you say, for example, Tottenham are in such disarray at this moment in time. And it, it, it's weird because we were saying they're a top four rival when we played them. And yeah. now we're not even considering them. They're you know, not. Right I now. mean, literally, as, as a club, they have no... If they if Ange Postacoglu can get them into the Champions League next season, it will be seen as a probably a bigger success story than we've just had. That's how, like, all over the place they are at the minute. I agree. I think I think as well, the one thing, the one thing I will say is that I think Newcastle's... Uh, progress has come at the best time because there's so many clubs, as Chris has mentioned, that are mm, just on the yep. downside. And I think it's just gone in hand in hand where you go, actually, there's only, at the minute, there's only three teams better than Newcastle right now. And we'd, we could argue one of them's probably not even better than us in, yeah. in Man United yeah, right absolutely now. Right. It'll, it'll be us eventually, though. Like we'll Because this all goes it in cycles. Yeah. You know, we'll, Eddie Howell, it'll stop getting, you know, players will come off for, we'll, we'll have a dip season. Yeah. But the way Chris said there, that Liverpool will bounce back to an extent because the infrastructure is yes. there. Yeah. In the next couple of years, I don't see us ever being in a position like Chelsea are in, for example, where you know we've got such a long way back yeah. to claw. I think this is pretty much our level now, and the mm-hmm. drop-offs we have will not be long-term and they'll not be severe. But what's it? What's I'll throw it back to you then. What's what's a dip for Newcastle next? Is saying that Newcastle next season, for example, will have a dip? Is that just like top half now? Yeah, a dip's top half. I mean, I fully again. We're getting into we're, another podcast. We've been wrong about everything. I fully expect that. Yeah. Sixth is great for me next year. I'll be happy with that. A dip is anything below that. We will do um, season predictions, of course, before the season starts. But um, I think we'll leave it there for this podcast. Lots of food for thought and, and things that I'm thinking about making some notes. Maybe maybe we can extrapolate and talk more in detail. Adam? Before we go, Chris, was there anything you were really hoping we wouldn't ask you because you'd be forced to tell us? Oh yeah, any goss? Any goss? Any goss for the people that made it to the end? Because we just have we just have to guess at this stuff when, when there's not somebody who's like got an inside track on which. I think it's like that. It seems like that to me. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, once I knew that it wasn't sort of about transfers and things like that, I was sort of thought I was in sort of safe territory in terms of things I've heard so far, which I'm still trying to get checked out that I don't necessarily have to. Why are you writing James to... Madison down on your note? <laughs> He's not. He's winking. He's not. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. As ever, do come and join us on Patreon. Um, lots. Uh, you get this podcast ad-free and lots of other podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.